What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's so the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, catechesis, dogma and doctrine. You could talk to me about acts of justice and works of charity. We could talk about politics, all of that. And what I would do is, is as I get your questions, I will sit with them and I will pray with them and I will study and hopefully I will respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. But my disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect, I am not infallible, and I have been wrong many times in my life. Therefore, the advice that I share with you, the response that I give to you might not be good for you. Therefore, I want to give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to become a saint in your walk toward heaven. However, if my advice is helpful and good but difficult, then I would encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer and in study and in worship and in sacrament so that God can give you the grace over the time to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you're a first time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. That's A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. And you can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. You can share us on your social media pages. This helps other people to find out about the show. If it's a gift for you, potentially it could become a gift for other people as well. And if you want to stay in touch with me outside of the show, then I want to encourage you to check out my books, Broken and Blessed, uh, Pocket Guide to Adoration, and Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about receiving Holy Communion when we're not in a state of grace. We're going to be talking about calling priest father. Like, why do we do that when there is a clear biblical passage that says, call no man father? And we are going to address some tips on how to be present when we are in the presence of other people, especially whenever we might be addicted to the cell phone. But before we get into those good topics, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story is this. One of my good friends, uh, Jennifer, uh, I call her JMO. She works at a pharmacy and she was sharing me this really, really cool story. Uh, one day she just felt called by the Holy Spirit to take her blessed salt and her holy water and to, with her coworker, like go around her campus of her pharmacy that she works at and put the blessed salt on that land and the water on that land as well. And unbeknownst to them, Later that week um, or that day, I don't know if it was that day or that week, there was a huge fire that broke out in the like the shopping center where their pharmacy is located. And every building in this like shopping center began to catch on fire. Right? Boom, 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 boom. The fire is going from building to building to building. But guess where it did not go? It did not touch anywhere where the blessed salt or the holy water was sprinkled. From the parking lot to their business, where everywhere where they walk with the salt and the water, they were protected. Y'all, there is power and grace that God communicates through blessed salt and holy water, through blessed metals, through through blessed rosaries, through objects that have been uh, officially blessed by bishops and by priests. So I really want to encourage you, like please, 
Get your sacramentals in your home and in your workplace environment and in your schools and in your neighborhoods. Bring the sacramentals there. Like there is power and grace that God works through them. I've had so many experiences of going to somebody's home or their workplace environment and blessing it with holy water or blessed salt. And literally like stuff happens like stuff because demons are aware of that stuff and they don't like it. Uh, the, the real enemies do not like that. And the real enemies are not people. The real enemies of us are demons, powers and principalities, uh, the dominions and, and, and all those different choirs of demons. Like they are the enemy and they are inspiring so many people in our secular world to do so many things that are not good to put in to practice so many unwritten rules that discriminate against people for no other reason than because of the color of their skin still to this day and that that put policies in place. Of written rules in such a way that it's kind of like, is that really what they're trying to say? But no matter what they're trying to say, the, the effect is always that that like people are discriminated against. And like this is not good. And those people who do this are being inspired by the enemy. And so we can not only pray for those people and fast for their conversion, we can not only have conversations with them and invite them to be corrected, invite them to be informed on why they're doing and what they're doing is wrong, uh, and to encourage them to rewrite their practices and policies that are affecting in a negative way uh, a whole segment of people in our community, but we can also bring some holy water to those places and spaces and some blessed salt. We can bring some blessed metals, some St. Benedict medals and some miraculous medals and put them above above the doorpost and under the desk and under the carpet. And we can bring those sacramentals into those places and spaces. And I can guarantee you that on many times when we do this, we will see change and we will see minds becoming open to uh, reformation and hearts being open to transformation because the grace of God works through sacramentals. Sacramentals are not some like pious thing that only like the super holy old ladies do. And like, no, they actually are efficacious God communicates his grace in some powerful ways through sacramentals. And so I'd encourage you, if you do not have any, like, please go to your priest and ask your priest to bless your medals and your rosaries. Ask your priest to, to exercise your salt and bless your water. Um, it is super, super powerful. And especially like in this time that we're living in that is so divided and in our society, in this nation that has, it still has so many practices, unwritten rules and policies, written rules that are unjust that are unjust and are not good and are not of the Lord. Like God is giving us these weapons to, to fight against our enemies who are demons, not people, demons. And as the demons flee from these people, these people can become free to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And then through being infilled with the Spirit of God, they and informed by the Holy Spirit, they can then rewrite their practices and policies and stop this unnecessary division that is perpetuated in our land through these practices and policies that are not being addressed. So go get your walk. Water and go get your salt and go get your medals and bring them outside the church into the world. That's what Vatican II calls us to is to go out into the world. So you go places where I can't go. You go places where I can't go and you bring, you bring the grace of God into those places and spaces and see what happens. Glory story. That's my glory story. I just love some sacramentals. So yeah, super powerful. Get your candles blessed, all that. All right. Now, now that I'm done talking about my glory story, <laughs> let's go from sacramentals to talking about the sacraments. Let's get into today's show. Thank you. 
All right, first question comes in from Anonymous, and it's about receiving Holy Communion. Can you discuss the church's teaching that we should not receive Holy Communion in a state of sin? Does this mean that we should not receive the body of Christ, the Eucharist, if we have not gone to confession beforehand? This is coming in from Anonymous. Well, let's th- let's talk about this. What is the Eucharist? The, the Eucharist is the body of Christ. It's not a symbol. The Eucharist is the body of Christ. And if you read the Gospel of John, chapter 6, which I encouraged all my parishioners to do at Holy Rosary this past week, I said every day I want everybody to read John 6, every day for 10 minutes. Uh, when you read John 6, Jesus Christ is giving the Bread of Life discourse. And in the Bread of Life discourse, he says... Um, your fathers, your ancestors, they ate that, that manna, that what is it, bread, that miraculous bread that it fed the Israelites. It was bread that fell from the skies. It fed them, right? But like literally, I am the bread of life. He says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. He says, and the last supper, this is my body. This is my blood. Believe us, Matthew 26. This is my body. This is my blood. So it really is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing with it being Jesus Christ is there are consequences for receiving the Lord unworthily. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, right? That's one of the first five. There was Genesis, there was Exodus, there was Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So in the, uh, in, in the, the Pentateuch, uh, Moses, who, who gave us the, you know, the, the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote all first five books of the Bible. He writes this, the person who essentially eats like the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings while an uncleanness is on him or her, that person shall be cut off from the Lord's people. Like if you receive, if you eat of the flesh of the sacrifice, you will literally be cut off from his people. That's Leviticus 7.20. It's Old Testament. Remember, Old Testament is revealed in the new. So we're reading Leviticus through the lens of the New Testament. What does St. Paul say in the New Testament about Holy Communion? Remember, St. Paul was not at the Last Supper. He was not there. Yet and still, he speaks about Holy Communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 through 21. This is what St. Paul says. He says, the bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? St. Paul wasn't even there. The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the practice of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. He then goes on to say in chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Whoa. Like, stop. St. Paul is letting us know that there are, there are temporal effects and there are spiritual effects of receiving, eating the body of, of the Lord, drinking the blood of the Lord unworthily. He is saying, this is why some of y'all are sick. Like, have you ever been sick for a long time and wonder like, why can't I get better? I'm taking all the medicine I'm supposed to be taking. Have you been in confession? 
Because if you are receiving the Lord unworthily, St. Paul says, like, don't get mad at Father Josh. Don't hear me say this in the podcast and be like, oh, Father Josh is saying things that are messed up or whatever. This is the word of God. This is the Bible. In the Bible, St. Paul says the reason why some of you are sick and some of you have died is because you received the Eucharist unworthily. That's how serious it is. Like, this is why it's important for priests to let people know you need to go to confession before you can receive Holy Communion. This is why we make announcements at funerals. At funerals, I always say, if you are not Catholic, please do not receive Holy Communion. Why? Not because you might not personally believe in the sacrament of the body and blood of the Lord, but because if you ain't Catholic, you ain't been to confession. And if you have not been in confession, you're probably in a state of sin. And the way that God frees us from sin is through the confessional. He breathed on the apostles in the gospels. He said to the apostles, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. He did not give that grace to every single member of the body of Christ. It is only to those members of the body of Christ who participate in the role of apostles and their successors. That is Peter and Paul and James and John and their bishops and their successors. And my bishop is, is in that line and he shares his priesthood with me. Therefore, bishops and priests are the ones who hear confessions and absolve sins. Who forgives? God forgives, but he does it through his priests. Again, this goes back to the Old Testament. Moses said in the Old Testament, if you have, if you are a leper and if you want to be reconciled to the community, if you want to come back and worship with the community, even if you have been healed, you need to go to the priest first and the priest will be the one who will let you back in to worship with the community, to participate with the community. And so things haven't changed in the New Testament. So everything in the old is revealed in the new. So we need to go to confession before we receive Holy Communion. Otherwise, we'll be receiving the body and blood of the Lord unworthily, and we'll be judge, placing judgment upon ourselves, right? And so like Leviticus says, uh, we will separate ourselves from the body, from the people, from the church. And Jesus Christ, he identifies himself and is attached to the church. So if we separate ourselves from the church, we're separating ourselves from Jesus. And that's not good. So uh, we ought to definitely go to confession before we receive communion, if we are in mortal sin, right? So after, when we're baptized, we're perfect. If I go to back, if I was baptized when I was like 21, whatever I did before 21 is forgiven. I don't ever have to bring it to confessional. All right. So I get baptized. I'm perfect. But like most people after baptism, shortly after I start sinning again, if it's a venial sin, which means a non-deadly sin, remember, and there's a difference between venial and mortal. In first John, uh, the beloved disciple says that there are some sins that are deadly. That's where we get the word mortal sin from because the Bible, he says there are some sins that are deadly and some sins that are not deadly. Non-deadly means venial. Deadly means mortal. All right, so there's deadly sins, there's non-deadly sins. Uh, a mortal sin, a deadly sin is a sin uh, that we, uh, it's grave matter, it's serious. We knew it was bad and we still freely chose to do it, right? So if I've committed a mortal sin, then before I present myself before the Blessed Sacrament, Holy Communion, I ought to go to confession. Go to the priest and, and say this, these are my confessions, <laughs> just like that. You start singing to the priest and then uh, he might sing back to you uh, something else. So yeah, so that's what I would say about that. It's biblical. We should definitely go to confession before we receive the body and blood of the Lord. Next question also comes in from Anonymous. Anonymous says, hello, Father Josh. Hello, Anonymous. Thank you so much for your podcast. It's been such a light to me as I've dived deeper into my Catholic faith and answered many of my burning questions. It's going to burn for me to say this, but I know it from the start. It's been a long time coming. It's something fell apart. 
think is that how it goes let it burn wait i don't know i remember yeah whatever but one i haven't heard yet is why do we call priest father uh i recently read matthew 23 9 which says call no one on earth your father yeah but one father in heaven could you elaborate on this please thanks again for all you do and god bless yes that's a great great question yeah so what did Jesus Christ mean when he said this? Because if you live in America, then you probably celebrate a day called Father's Day. Uh, and so is Jesus saying we shouldn't celebrate Father's Day? Is he saying that I can't call my daddy father? We call our adopted parents father. We call people in our life our godfathers and our godmothers. So are we breaking the scriptures whenever we say this? But also we call our priest father. So there are a few things that I would encourage us to look at. Uh, because not only do we have biological fathers and adopted fathers, uh, and foster fathers, but we also have spiritual fathers. And this is like in the Bible. Again, let's go back to the Old Testament. Take it back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Said an OT. In the OT, yeah, you know me. I was rocking with that OG. His name was Joseph. Joseph. All right. So Joseph in the Old, Old Testament, uh, we know him. He was the dreamer. He was definitely his father's favorite. And he told his brothers of a unique paternal relationship that God had given him with the king of Egypt. He says this in Genesis chapter 45, verse eight. And shout out to Genesis. I met a girl named Genesis at Loyola. I was at speaking at Loyola this past week and uh, with Father Nathan out there. It's really great time. And I, I met Genesis in person. Shout out to Genesis and all her friends. But in the Bible, the first book is also called Genesis. In the beginning, you hovered over the water. You spoke an unspoken something, and you brought light into darkness, and there was light. Yeah. So it says this in Genesis 45, 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So in the Old Testament, Joseph called himself father. But this is the same word that St. Paul called himself in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, St. Paul writes this. You have countless guides in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Could you imagine him saying, he was like, Luke, I am your father. So St. Paul, who came after the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus said this before his passion, death, and resurrection, calling him man father. And so St. Paul is after all that, and he says the word father. Not only if St. Paul say that, but the very first martyr who died at the hands of Paul, Stephen also called himself a father as well. In Acts chapter uh, 7, verse 2, he was stoned at the hands of Paul. He said, too, he talks about Father Abraham. Sorry, he called Abraham his father. Again, now he knew that Jesus Christ said, called him a father, yet he just called Abraham father. So is Paul and is Stephen breaking the commandments? Is this a contradiction in the scripture? No, there are no contradictions in the Bible. Do not listen to anyone that tells you their ears. There are apparent contradictions, but no real contradictions. So, what does Jesus mean? Jesus Christ was using what we call hyperbole, exaggeration, basically because he was trying to show the scribes and the Pharisees how proud they had become, how sinful they were, because they were not being humble before God. 
and placing God as the source of authority and paternity and teaching and preaching. Instead, they were placing themselves and putting themselves in the place of the ultimate authority of the of the ultimate person, the ultimate figure and teacher. And Jesus Christ is saying, nah, don't do that. That's bad. Do not attribute paternity, fatherhood, or any kind of degree of fatherhood to those who do not have it. Right. So basically, he was just exaggerating to call them out. Right. So he did not mean we can't use the word father. He means if somebody's not being a father, don't call them a father. If someone's not participating in my paternity, don't allow them to be called father. Like, so, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I would say about that. Hopefully that was helpful. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into our final question. Nestled under the warm Florida sun is a university whose name indicates a vocational call. Ave Maria, Latin for Hail Mary, recalls the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary of her future vocation, becoming the mother of God. Enriched by God's grace, Mary freely ascends to this call. This is the model for all students. Come to Ave Maria University, where we offer a liberal arts curriculum buoyed by the sacraments. This empowers you to clearly see your vocational call, whatever that might be. Ave Maria University, your vocation location. Visit AveMaria.edu or call 1-833-AMUSWFL. And we're back. Just a quick reminder, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. Last question is, again, from Anonymous. Man, we got some anonymous writers this week. Uh, This person wrote about being fully present to others. Hi, Father Josh. Recently, my seven-year-old child told me that I'm on the phone too much. After some reflection, I've realized I'm frequently on my phone scrolling and I'm struggling to be fully present to my kids. What advice do you have for breaking attachments to the smartphone? All right, so I got a few uh, suggestions. So number one is the way that we pray will affect the way that we live outside of prayer. So you first start with prayer. Whenever you pray every day, and I hope you do, whenever you give God your 15, 20, 30 minutes or an hour every single day, do you bring your phone into your place of prayer? If you do, then don't. Like put your phone away for that 15, 30, 45 or an hour for that, for that time being, put your phone away so you can be totally attentive to God. If you could be totally attentive to God's voice in his face in the Eucharist or in the Bible and the scriptures through your rosary, through your time in prayer with an icon or crucifix, then the way we pray affects the way we live. Then we can begin to be more attentive to people. If I'm present to God, on the presence of God, I can be present to people on the presence of people. However, if I always bring my phone with me to my place of prayer. I will bring my phone with me everywhere else. I mean, think about it. Do you bring your phone with you in the shower? If you don't bring the phone in the shower, then why do we bring it in our place of prayer? So don't do that. Like, just like my phone can wait outside the bathroom when I'm taking a shower, my phone can wait outside of my prayer space. And if my phone is waiting outside of my prayer space, then that's going to begin to help me to form a habit of being detached from my phone for 30 minutes to an hour at a time. All right. So the same rule would then apply with people, right? So then we find places and spaces where we can begin to deny our phone with people. Like, and I would say start small. So it begins with, you know, the shower and prayer. And then after that, how about meals? Every time I have breakfast, lunch, or dinner with my family, I will put my phone away. I will not put my phone on the table. I will not keep my phone in my pocket. I will literally put my phone in the other room so I can be attentive to the food in front of me and the people around me. 
so I can actually talk to them. Having screen-free meals. So you start small. You don't start big. It's like working out. You don't want to start off too big and be like, all right, I'm going to go a whole day without my phone. Like That's like saying, I'm going to lift up like 50 pounds whenever I've never done five or 10. You got to start small. So start in small places and spaces outside of prayer. And then after that, then you add to it. And so once you are in a habit of taking a shower without your phone and praying without your phone and eating meals three times a day without your phone, then add on to that, all right? And say like, all right, now we're gonna pick like our Sabbath day, Sunday, uh, and we're gonna do a screen-free Sunday. On Sundays, we are gonna put our phones away as a family. That way you're not doing it alone. If it's a family activity, you doing it, your spouse is doing it, your kids are doing it, then you can all hold each other accountable, right? And if you're all holding each other accountable, uh, then you will likely be more likely to succeed in not being so addicted to your phone and being actually able to look at people in the face, like go outside and play sports with your family, go for walks and have talks and and just do things with them, do activities. And then finally, if you still find that like this is too much of a struggle and like you just can't seem to break free of your phone for prayer or during meals or on particular days, then I'll say get rid of it. You know, the Bible says Jesus used a, uh, he uses a hyperbole, exaggeration. He says, if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off, right? So I'm, uh, I'm not saying cut your hand off, but I am saying, and what he was saying was that get rid of things that cause you to sin. So if your phone is causing you to be inattentive to God in prayer, and if your phone is causing you to be inattentive to the body of Christ and the person who's made in the image of God in your children, then get rid of your phone and go buy a flip phone that doesn't have all the apps on it. All you can do with a flip phone is text somebody and call somebody. You can call me on my flip phone. Yeah, so call them on the flip phone, text them, but you can't do all the extra stuff. Therefore, you eliminate the distractions by eliminating the, the smartphone. So I think that's some advice that I would share with you. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. God, thank you so much for just inviting us to be together today. I ask that you inspire us and that you motivate us and that you encourage us to fix our eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. Give us the grace to all see Jesus while we are awake and when we are asleep. Give us the grace to all hear the voice of Jesus Christ speak to us in the word of God, the sacred scriptures. Give us the grace to believe his word and to trust in his word and to accept his word and to act on his word for our good and for the good of our brothers and sisters in our community. Give us the grace to fast from our own ideas and to fast from anything that is not of you. Even if we thought it was good for a while and we were starting to realize, wait a minute, that might not be as good as I thought it was. God, give us the grace to detach from that and be attached more to your word. All we have to do, God, is just cling to you, is come to you, is run to you. And by coming to you and by clinging to you and attaching ourselves to you, you will give us the grace that we need to separate ourselves from anything and everything that is not of you or from you or for you or about you. God, give us the grace to come to you. The way that Whitney Houston says, I want to run to you, God. Give us the grace to just run to you, to run to you all day, all night, every day, all day, to run to you, God, and to trust in you and to believe in you and to be inspired by you to act in communion and union with your word at all times, in all places, in all spaces, in our walk toward eternity. We ask this prayer, Father God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Also, before I go, I want to give a shout out to St. Gerard Magella. Uh, off Plank Road, their school. I was able with Micah Parker, please say to Parker, I was able to go visit these beautiful kids, elementary and middle school students who are just wonderful disciples of Jesus Christ. If you were ever looking for a school to support, I would encourage you to support this school, right? To support this school. It's a predominantly black Catholic school in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. It is St. Uh, Gerard 
Magella, I believe, elementary and middle school in Baton Rouge is awesome. These kids, I mean, they were so good. They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew how many apostles there were. Uh, they uh, were wrapping the rosary. Like They were just so, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And so if you're ever looking for an institution that can, that you can support, that you can donate to, that you can tie to, I would highly encourage you to do it with this organization, this church, this school, because they are doing some beautiful work in this community and forming uh, disciples of Jesus Christ in this generation, future saints. So shout out to that really, really beautiful school. I look forward to visiting there more. I went there to promote vocations. I'm the vocation director. In addition to being a pastor of the best parish in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Holy Rosary, I went to that school and it was great. It was awesome. And I will be going back there a lot more because I was so inspired by these kids and by their um, they're, they're genuine in our authenticity, and yeah, they were so good. So if you're looking for an, a Catholic school that you can support, that you can tie to, like if you haven't been on a mission trip in the past year because you can't afford it or because COVID doesn't let you travel, whatever money you was going to spend on that mission trip, I would encourage you to donate to this, this particular school. They could really use your help so they can continue their mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ uh, in this generation, in this land. All right, that's enough of that spill. God bless. Deuces. Deuces.